You guys got big faith today? Expectant? Expectant? All right, praise God. I don't mind the feedback when I preach. You can shout me down. I'm not afraid of it. Um, We're in a series called Men and Women of the Bible. Men and Women of the Bible. Pastor Brett started it two weeks ago uh, preaching about Adam. And my summary of that is that Adam was made to be different different among the rest of creation. And then as men, he called each of us up to a higher standard, said we need to live, walk, act different. And then he preached about Eve last week, and he brought some fire last week. He was, if you'd missed it, you need to go back and double watch that again. Eve, the perfect complement to Adam. Equal in every way, but a perfect complement. Strong where he is weak, tender where he is harsh, the perfect complement to fully carry out the mission that God has called them both to. Today we're going to move from Genesis 1 and 2, just over a few chapters, to Genesis 6. And we're going to see that God's love always overcomes our sin. So turn with me, if you have your Bible or your cell phone, to Genesis 6. And we're going to look at uh, the story of Noah. You might know Noah from the story of the flood, Uh, If you live in my household, you know Noah as the answer to every question I ask my (laughs) three-year-old. Logan, put that down. Noah. Logan, stop hitting your brother. Noah. Logan, go to bed. Noah. (laughs) He's a good kid. He's just three. Uh, I finally said, Noah built an ark. What are you saying? He said, like a little professor. My little son, he's a little professor. He goes, Dad, I am not saying Noah. I am saying no. And then I said, then go to your room. Um, (laughs) Just kidding. We're going to look at Noah in Genesis chapter 6 today. Turn with me there. We're going to start in verse 9 and read through verse 14. This is the word of God. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God, and the earth was filled with violence. God looked on the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. Then God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence because of them, and behold, I am about to destroy the earth. Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. You shall make the ark with rooms and shall cover it inside and out with pitch. Would you pray with me? Father God, we invite you into this moment, Lord, that we would hear clearly and freshly from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Noah lived in a messed up time. And if you know the story, you know that. And in a lot of ways, his time parallels our time a lot. Full of corruption, full of violence, full of injustice. God had made Adam and Eve in perfect fellowship and harmony with him with the intent to commune with them. And from Adam and Eve came Cain and Abel. And from Cain and Abel came murder and violence into the world. Yo, it took us one generation to get to murder. Are you kidding? This blows my mind. It wasn't a slow burn of sin, right? It wasn't like Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden and then, and then, and then Cain gossiped about Abel. <laughs> and sin began to spread. No, Cain, Cain told a couple lies about Abel, where Abel really was at night. No, no, no. Cain, Cain didn't use a couple four-letter words about Abel. 
Cain, out of jealousy and anger, murders his brother. And people ask, why do bad things happen to good people? And I go, really? Are any really good? When man is left to his own devices, it took us one generation to come up with murder as a solution to our problems. So maybe we're not all that good. The effects of sin in our life is so much greater than we realize. And our time looks a lot like that time. Out of Cain's lineage comes a line of people who are born out of and boasting in their wickedness and their violence towards one another. And God sees this. And in a couple verses before what we just read, we're going to go and just scroll up in your Bible or look up in Genesis 6, verses 5. This is the Lord's response. This is the Lord's response. He says this. It says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. I'm going to pause there for a second. The word of God is supposed to be a mirror to us. We look in it. We see ourselves. We see God, what we are and what we are not. And that catches me because you could probably relate to me a couple times where you feel like if you really examined with honesty the intentions of your heart, sometimes it's only evil, always. Genesis 6, verses 6, the next verse. It says, And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. I think often when we come to the story of the flood, and if you know the story of the flood, you're familiar with it, I'm sure in some setting you've heard it before. There's, a, there's, a, there's an ease in approaching it and assigning the wrong characteristics to God in this moment. That God looks at the wickedness of man and out of his anger and out of his wrath, out of righteous fury, he says no more and he destroys them. But what I just read doesn't marry up with that line of thinking. And as I think about God, who creates the heavens and the earth and separates the waters, and he makes the depths of the sea and he brings light and dark Plants and animals, birds of the sea, every creeping and every crawling thing. And then his masterpiece, his final work is man that he forms in his image and breathes his life into. And he looks with compassion and says, no, it's not good enough that he's alone. And so he takes a rib from his side and forms a woman out of this man and sees that it is good that perfect relational harmony has been achieved, that every need will be met in the garden. And as quick as he makes them, they turn their backs on him. And as quick as they turn their backs on him, their children murder each other. And a legacy of violence enters into the world and spreads over and over again such that God looks at humanity and regrets ever doing it because of grief. Because of the sorrow in his heart. The world is full of descendants of Cain, but Adam and Eve had another son, a son named Seth. And Eve says uh, Seth was given to her because Cain took Abel. Let me just pause on our topic of Noah for a second. 
And we see the redemptive nature of God to Adam and Eve, do we not? Even in this act, that Abel might be taken as a result of sin, but Seth was appointed to her because she lost something, and God is a, has a heart of reconciliation and redemption. And does anybody here feel like maybe something was taken from you? Maybe you don't have all that you thought you would have by now. Maybe you've missed something out, and you're wondering where God is going to be in it. Can I tell you that even from the original woman who sinned against him, he redeemed her and restored her? Come on, somebody. Join your faith with mine. We see it here. And from the line of Seth comes Enosh. And it says this in the Bible, beautiful words. And people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Noah, our hero for today, comes out of the line of Seth. And this is where we pick up our story. God looking down on humanity those made in his image and in his likeness, those made as his representatives on earth, those made to steward his, create, his creation and harness the potential to create beauty and order. And he regrets ever making them because he is overwhelmed by grief. But he pauses for a man named Noah. Because while a generation were walking away from God, it says that Noah was walking with God. While a generation walked away from God, Noah walked with God. Does that spark hope with anybody here today? That if I would be one, as a generation, as a nation, as a people, walk away from God, if I would be so bold to be one of the ones that walks with God, maybe he just wouldn't be done with me yet. Maybe he just have more for me yet. Maybe there's purpose in my life to be fulfilled. Yet if I would be one of the ones who walks with, while everybody walks away. Because the lesson here is this, increased corruption around you shouldn't compromise the character within you. If you're not taking notes, now is a great time to start. <laughs> increased corruption around you shouldn't compromise the character within you. We don't get that option. That is not our calling. We are not called to lower our standards. We are called to be in, but not of. Set apart, different. God's nature is such that if even one remains, his redemptive nature is such that if even one remains, he will redeem that one. So if we walk with, when everybody walks away, in a world and in a time that looks a lot like Noah's, corruption and violence and injustice and things just don't seem to be the way that they should be, no matter which way you look at it, we can see that we are still here because we live in the constant mercy of God. We live in constant mercy. Every breath that you take, every good thing and every bad thing, that happens to you is the mercy of God made real in your life. Do you know that? Do you know that? You are walking in constant mercy. We're going to talk about Noah today and God's plans and purposes for us. Noah does four things. He does four things that enabled God to bring about his saving grace. In Genesis 6, 9, it says that Noah walked with God. And walking is the perfect word here for a relationship. Walking is, uh, is steady. It's consistent. You can do it over a long period of time. You can walk way further than you can run. Walking is a lot less painful than running because running is 
awful. I don't know anybody that actually. I think that the runner's high is a lie. I think runners say that to get you to feel bad about yourself. Uh, but running, running is just terrible. And listen, I get it. I'm 95 pounds. If you sneeze too aggressively nearby me, I'll, I'll float away. But it didn't come by running. Okay, we praise God for good genetics, but it ain't from running. Uh, it came from walking. <laughs> from walking. Walking is relational. My wife and I, so much of our relationship was formed by walks that we would take together. Every place that we lived, every apartment, every townhouse that we lived in, there's a well-worn path around it that we would walk uh, together. Walking builds so much relationally. And uh, if you're married, I should go on a tangent here because we leave the marriage team at Grace, so i got to slip in some marriage advice. If you're married and you feel like the intimacy, the connection, the communication is not there, can I encourage you to walk with your spouse? Because here's, here's oh, come on, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, praise God. Because uh, it's really hard to scroll and walk, really hard. Can't bring a TV on a walk, can't bring a laptop on a walk. All the barriers, not bringing a book on a walk, you leave the kids at home or strap them in a stroller. All the distractions that we allow to come between us can be eliminated on a walk. And what I love about it is it's the perfect blend of relational unity because um, for some reason, I don't get it, women like to talk about their feelings. I'm told, I guess it's okay. Um, doesn't really work for me, but that's okay. I love my wife. I love to hear about how she thinks about how she feels. Um, uh, and so you can talk on a walk, but you know, men, when we get together, we like to be side to side because too much FaceTime is really uncomfortable for us. Um, it's like, you're looking at me a little bit too much, man, and then all of a sudden we wanna like, why are you looking at me like that, man? So it's shoulder to shoulder, and there's a purpose, there's a destination of mine. So men are satisfied, like we're on a mission, we're walking, the woman is satisfied, and hey, you never know, man, a little pro tip, she gives to hold her hand again, you know, like you used to do when you were young, okay. All right, just walk with your wife and see what happens, see what happens. Walking produces so much good in a relationship, and here's why, because you become like who you walk with. You become like who you walk with. When I walk with my wife, we grow relationally together in unison together. It's been said, show me the five people that you're closest with and I'll show you where you're at in five years. Or show me the voices that you're listening to and I'll tell you who you're becoming. Because you become like who you walk with. It says that Noah walked with God and Noah was blameless and Noah was righteous. And God looked at Noah and saw someone worth using for a higher purpose. Maybe you don't know your higher purpose or your calling or where you're supposed to go next, or where you're at now. You're just here. Can I encourage you to look at who you're walking with? What voices are you listening to, and how intimate is your walk with God? Because on Noah's walk with God is where he got his task and his assignment. And with Noah's walk with God, that's where he got his instructions on how to do this thing. First Noah walked, and then he worked. He walked and then he worked. God says to Noah in verse 13 and 14, he says, he says, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. God says, I'm going to destroy the earth. I'm going to reset this whole thing. Now get to work. I know what I'm going to do, says the Lord, but that does not mean you don't have an assignment. Come on, somebody, that word is for you. God is going to do what he's going to do, but that doesn't mean you have an assignment. There's someone in your life, you're just waiting for God to get them. 
You're just waiting for the righteous justice of God to get them, and you're doing your Christian thing and just watching and not saying anything. He said, God's going to get you. Psalm 26, vindicate me, O Lord. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Bless his holy name. And we are waiting for God to act, and God is waiting for you to move, to get to work, because you got an assignment, and we got to get to work. Just because God has a higher plan and a higher purpose doesn't mean you don't have an assignment. Peter refers to Noah as a herald of righteousness, 2 Peter 2.5. He calls him a herald of righteousness. A herald is also, uh, you could translate that as a preacher or a proclaimer. Our call in the, uh, in the character of Noah is to not just be holy in the earth and righteous, but to proclaim the righteousness of God to others. Because how many more might God save if that many more had heard and had turned? So he says to Noah, make yourself an ark of gopher wood. God's judgment is coming, so build your ark. Noah needed an ark because he needed to save himself and seven others and then the animals. We don't need an ark today. It would be kind of fun to build, but we don't need one. Uh, so God is not calling us to build the ark. For us, I think maybe God is calling us to build the church because it does the same thing. It's a safe haven and a refuge from the storm. It's shelter from the judgment of God. And here, although it's not perfect, and it's not, it's full of people, so we know it's not perfect. It's run by people, so we know it's not perfect. But it's the best that we've got. And we work really, really hard to make an environment where you can encounter the saving grace of God. And you can sit in his presence and he can speak freshly to you. While the storms of the world and the winds of the world blow, we create an environment for people to encounter the living God. And he's not interested in saving eight people and some animals this time. He makes a covenant with Noah, which we'll talk about in a minute, that never again will I strike down every living creature. So he's not saving just eight. He's trying to save everybody. So let me tell you, we're going to need a bigger boat. We're going to need a bigger boat out here. This is why we're planting churches. This is why we're establishing sites. This is why our small groups are growing and multiplying and raising leaders because we need more arcs, more places for people to come in out of the storm and experience the saving grace of God. We need a bigger boat. Come on, somebody. Let's get that boat. <laughs> our flood is not coming with water. Our flood is not coming with water. Our flood is coming in the rising tide of sin that is seeking to destroy and kill us. Sorry to get a little heavy, but the reality is our sin nature is sowing seeds of discord, disruption, and death within us. Look at even the way we interact as a society and as a people. It is laced with wickedness, selfishness, Pride, the flood of sin, the tide of sin washing over us is coming to destroy every calling that you've got on your life and every purpose that you've got on your life. The devil lies to you. He does not care about you. He does not like you. He doesn't want to see you succeed. You think he wants to help you feel good. No, he's looking to destroy. So Noah gets to work. Noah builds an ark. And multiple times in the story it says this. It says, Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. I wonder what God can't do with our faithfulness. 
No, what, what couldn't God accomplish with our faithfulness? Because the ones who always stand in the way of kingdom progress are us. Our fear, our pride, our insecurity, our apathy, our schedules. Noah does all that the Lord commanded, but don't think just for a second that because he was obedient that it was easy. First he walked with the Lord, then he worked with the Lord, and then he waited on the Lord. There's a part of the story that I love because um, if I'm honest with you, when I've read this story before, uh, time and time again, the numbers are so large, they're just abstract to me. Um, and so I kind of gloss over the numbers and the timing of things because when you're talking about, and I don't, really, I don't blame myself because when you're talking about a guy who had three kids when he was 500 years old, like, you're just like, okay, sure, next. 500 is such an abstract concept, right? The United States is not even 500 years old, okay? So, like, we started with colonialism in 1700s. We're 300 years later. Noah's like a teenager, I guess. I don't know what the compromise is, right? But, like, the 500, it's so abstract that I kind of glossed over it. But when I went back and I paid attention and really looked at this, you see some amazing things, which is that Noah went from waiting to waiting to waiting to waiting. And as soon as one thing was confirmed for him, another thing was tested. When he was 500, he got the assignment to build the ark, we think, around that time. When he was 600, the flood started. So somewhere between 80 and 100 years of laboring. To give you some perspective, Noah could have planted the seeds for the trees at the start of the process that 80 years later he cuts down and uses to build the ark, okay? So this is the length of time that we're talking about, 100 years. Some of us are in the process of building a career, a family, a calling, I don't know, a business, a walk with God. You're just getting started off, and you're wondering, am I ever going to finish building? Am I ever going to finish what happened around year 60 with Noah and these guys, his sons? What happens around year 75? Hey, man, this thing's taking forever. <laughs> Some of us feel like this church service is an hour and it's about 15 minutes too long, right? We're talking about 100. <laughs> no, none of you. Uh, the, the other services. The other services. I won't say which one. Some of you are wondering, am I ever going to finish building what I'm building? And then there's this beautiful moment that I love where they finish building and then uh, God says, get in the ark. So Noah and his three sons and their wives and his wife, all the animals, they load up in the ark and it says, God, God shuts them in. God seals them in. So they're in the ark. And they're just waiting. Dad, you said it was going to rain, right? Is it, there was a flood. You said it was water, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, it's, it's okay. Day three goes by. You said rain, right? This was the timing. It was going to come, right? Day four goes by. It was a week later. They're sitting in the ark for a full week waiting for the rain. Some of us are in a period of waiting seven days. It says, God, are you ever going to deliver what you promised to deliver? Because <laughs> I'm waiting on you still. And then it does rain seven days later. And then it's 40 days of rain. Maybe you're in a season of 40 days of rain. You're just taking a beating. Every bad thing has happened to you, one thing after another after another. And the question you're asking is, will it ever stop? Are these bill, this bill keeps coming every month. What is with that? Is that, I've paid you enough for my cell phone. Why do you need more? I don't even use my minutes. 
And then there's a beautiful tension in chapter 8. I'll just gloss through it real quick for time. But there's a beautiful tension in chapter 8 where the rain stops and then it's another 370 days before they get off the ark. It's another year before they even get off the ark. And they're waiting on the ark in this, on the cusp of the promise, now wondering what happens next. What happens next? But the thing is this about Noah. We never see Noah na- doubt. We never see Noah complain. We never see Noah say a word against God in this. And that's because this. Because Noah's hope in God came from what he heard from God. Before this process started, God says, I will make a covenant with you and your wife, your three sons and their wives, to deliver them through this storm. So Noah's faith came by what he heard. I want to encourage you today. Is there a word that was spoken over you at some point in your life? Was there a scripture you used to hang your hat on? Was there something in your walk with God at some point back then that you used to stand on firm like a rock? And lately, you just haven't been standing on it so much. Because Noah's hope came from what he heard. We know that faith is the substance of things hoped for. And we know that faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of God. So what is the word of God that you're standing on and believing for? Because Noah had one. And if you don't have one, you're saying, what are you talking about, man? Let me give you one. This is a freebie. I'll just throw it out. Pull your notebook out. Hebrews 13.5. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Just hang your hat on that one. If you don't have a verse, you need a life verse, you're just in a moment I'll never leave you nor forsake you, Hebrews 13, 5. That's a promise from God. You can walk on that. You can stand on that. No matter where you're at, though, in this process, the process of building, the process of waiting for God to deliver, the process of the storm coming, wondering what's next, like Noah, the next step for you is worship. It's worship. After the waiting, the floodwaters finally subside. And turn over with me to Genesis chapter 8. We're going to look at verses 20 and 22. Genesis chapter 8, verses 20 and 22. It says this, And then Noah built an altar to the Lord. And he took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. The pleasing aroma of Noah's worship, his first and immediate act, led to a response from God that was to establish a covenant with humanity that never again, never again will I do what was done. The earth will remain in humanity upon it. Because what Noah did in his worship was he put God back in the proper position. It took us one generation to turn our backs on God, Adam and Eve. It took us two generations to turn our back on each other, Cain and Abel. Maybe the greatest commandment is love God, love people for that reason. Maybe that's why. That's all God is looking for from us. Would you love me and love each other? That's where this whole thing went wrong. And Noah's act of worship in that moment puts God back in his proper position. God, we worship you amidst what you've just done, amidst all of the chaos, amidst all of this. God, I won't turn my back on you. You know, your worship is never wasted. 
It's never wasted, no matter what season you're in, and no matter if you feel like it during worship or not. This is a tangent, but I want to tell you this. No matter if you come in here in a bad mood, mad at God, your worship is not wasted. David even says he has to compel, in the Psalms, he has to compel his soul sometimes. Oh, my soul, would you? Sometimes we're there too, but your worship is not wasted because um, the covenant that God sets with Noah, that never again will this happen, is evidence for us that God's love always comes up with a plan to overcome our sin. God uses the righteous man Noah to start afresh on the earth. What might he want to do with you? And maybe you're hearing this and you're like, man, but Noah was righteous and I am nothing like that. Noah was blameless and I am certainly not blameless. Noah was good and I am not so good. Can I tell you, I'm glad you're here today then. Because I have hope from you, from the word of God, that the same God that knows every bit of your mess, every bit of your struggle, is the same God who has loved you with a love that will overcome every sin that you've got. This is the same God who saw our struggle and came to us in the form of a man named Jesus, who was righteous, who was sinless, who was blameless, so that he made him who knew no sin, Jesus, to become sin, so that on his death on the cross, our sin would be dead with him in the grave, so that in him, this is Paul speaking in 2 Corinthians, that in him we might be the righteousness of God. That is the offer that is on the table today. You might not feel like the righteous man that Noah was, but can I tell you, the new covenant of Christ has made you righteous in the eyes of God. When we take communion, the shed blood of Christ, we call it the cup of the new covenant. This new covenant sealed by the blood of God, a man who could uh, fulfill his end of the bargain, holy where we are not, righteous where we are not, sinless where we are not. And if we come into an understanding of that type of grace, we might begin to understand what God wants to do in us and through us. We are made righteous in God's sight, set apart, holy, a royal priesthood, a chosen people. And not for the purposes of feeling good together, but that we might construct something, the church, that is a safe haven, that is a refuge for the lost, that is comfort to the weary, that is hope for the hurting, that is healing to the sick so that the righteousness of God may be seen on the earth because God's love for you, the love that looks at your heart, it says every intention is evil. And I know that. From youth, their heart is wicked. But he has loved you with a love that comes up with a plan to overcome that sin nature. Come on, man, you better respond to that. God has loved you with a love that overcomes your sin and has made a way for you to commune with him. This is the good news. This is the good news. God's love has made a way. Let's pray into this. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. God, we are so grateful for your faithfulness to us, for your care for us, for your heart 
for us. God, that though we deserve nothing, though we are unholy, though we are men and women of unclean lips, Father, your love overcomes all of that.